0: And now, wherever you are, if you are able, please stand for a reading from God's Word. This morning, Mark will be preaching from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, beginning with verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
1: Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you that it is all God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that it is living and active, that even now, Holy Spirit, you're illuminating these words that we might see the truth that is here for us, that this account of this resurrection is real, and it really happened, and it's something that all who are in Christ will experience all for your glory. We ask today, Lord, that you would take us deeper into your word, that we would understand more fully who we are in Christ. And for any who've yet to profess faith in Christ, today might be the day where you, Holy Spirit, would reveal your irresistible grace. And they too would say, as Martha said, I believe. We praise you for this moment. We ask for your guidance. May all that we say and hear and think and feel bring you glory. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I want to read a a statement that might sound familiar. God will lead you, body and soul, through life and through death, into everlasting joy if he is your safest refuge supreme treasure, sovereign Lord, and most trusted counselor. Does it sound familiar? Maybe even vaguely familiar. A year ago at this time, preaching from Psalm 16, that summary I read to you, it's a summary that was written by John Piper as he meditated upon this passage and preached from Psalm 16. Again, it says, God will lead you, body and soul, through life and through death, into everlasting joy if he is your safest refuge, your supreme treasure, your sovereign Lord, and your most trusted counselor. This statement I preached last Easter, last Easter feels so long ago. How different it is today as I'm in a sanctuary that's empty and that you're in a home or wherever you are watching on a screen, yet we're still worshiping the same God. A phrase like I'm reading from Psalm 16 brings such courage and hope when we think about the situation that we find ourselves in. This pandemic has changed so much. When I go to the store Just this past week, I entered before nine o'clock, not realizing that only seniors were supposed to be there. I had a ball cap on and sweats and I walked in and I was greeted by two women kindly who were guarding the door. And they simply looked at me and said, sir, are you a senior? This is for seniors only. Well, I took off my ball cap and said, don't I look like a senior? And the one woman said, oh, sir, I'm so sorry. Please come in. I was tempted, but I said, no, ma'am, I just look like a senior. I'm not really a senior. And I left. But before I left, I thanked them for what they were doing. This Easter is so different. It's so strange. These times we're in. But one thing has not changed. The message of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. The message of the gospel has not changed. And in this moment that we are in, it's so important that we continue to repeat the things that have not changed. So just like last Easter from Psalm 16, God will lead you, body and soul, through life and through death into everlasting joy if he is your safest refuge, supreme treasure, sovereign Lord, and most trusted counselor. Is that true of you right now? No matter what you're facing during this pandemic, no matter what else is going on in your life that was happening before, or what you might be anticipating later, is God your safest refuge? Is he your supreme treasure? Is he your sovereign Lord and most trusted counselor? There's much these days that is being repeated Movies are being repeated. Sporting events, because none are happening live, there are reruns. Reruns of our favorite movies and our favorite sporting events are wonderful to see, even though we already know the outcome. But watching an epic victory of the USA over Russia and the miracle on ice, or watching Vince Young scamper down the sidelines against USC for the national championship, these don't compare to repeating the true miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his victory over death. Here is the main difference. Repeating the story of the gospel of Christ is alive. It's not a memory that's kept alive. It's not a memory that reminds us of a moment when we celebrated victory. The word itself is living And it's not living just as a memory. Even as the word is read and as I proclaim and preach the word today, it's alive and it's active. The author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 4, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, to whom we must give an account. We all must give an account. And if you are in Christ, then God will lead you, body and soul, right now, through life and through death, into everlasting joy with him. The passage that we're looking at this Easter Sunday has the famous I am statement, one of Jesus' I am statements that we've been looking at during Holy Week. This one contains the phrase, I am the resurrection and the life. So as we move forward this morning in the living word, focusing on the resurrection of Christ, we're going first to look at another resurrection, a resurrection of a man named Lazarus from the dead. It is here where Jesus spoke those words to Lazarus' sister. I am the resurrection and the life. As we look at the text, the first thing I want you to notice, and it's easy to miss, is that Jesus had friends. He didn't just have a band of disciples that moved around him in their ministry together. Those were his friends, but he had other friends. Lazarus was his friend, as well as his sisters, Martha and Mary. He says in verse 11 of John 11, our friend, speaking to his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Three times in this narrative, the disciple that Jesus loved, that's John, who calls himself that, he says three times that the Lord loved Lazarus. First, it comes in chapter 11, verse 3, where the sisters have sent word to Jesus. And this is the word that they've given. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Then in verse 5 of chapter 11, it says that now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And then near the end of this narrative, the crowds notice as as Jesus is deeply moved, showing his humanity that he loved them. They say, see how he loved him. They saw the depth of Christ's love as Jesus came onto the scene and saw the grief that the sisters and the mourners were experiencing. What this teaches us is that Christ truly was fully human and fully God. As a fully human, he recognizes the actual pain of death, He shows us that death is our enemy. When Jesus comes on the scene after waiting a few days there, he experiences the grief that they too are sharing. Lazarus was really dead. He wasn't just asleep. He had died and was put in the tomb four days. Death often frightens us. It's understandable. Our own death. And sometimes even more so, the death of one that we love, a family member, or in this case, a friend. For Christians, this is why the word of God is so powerful and why Psalm 16 is so important to continue to repeat. For it's through life, this life, and through death that we have one who is leading us, one who is our sovereign Lord our safest refuge, our supreme treasure, and our most trusted counselor. This one is the word, Jesus Christ. This side of heaven, we experience the pain of death. Every day we see the numbers climbing for how many have died from this virus. And yet people still die from other things as well. Our hearts are heavy with the news of what's taking place for we, rem- we are reminded frequently of this great enemy, death. In commenting on this death, this virus, this pandemic, many people have began immediately to send all sorts of information. I'm sure, like me, your inbox was full of things sent to bring you hope and encouragement. For example, the the Nashville choir piece "It Is well with my soul. I imagine over 150 people sent that to me and it was beautiful. Others began to send things to read or prayer groups to gather. We've done our own things in praying every Wednesday and fasting. There's a lot that's happening for good. But in the early days of this pandemic, I received this from my wife and someone had sent it to her. It was a quote by C.S. Lewis from an essay that he wrote titled, On Living in an Atomic Age. I imagine many of you have seen this as well, but it's worth repeating. Speaking of the fear that existed in 1948 during this atomic age, he was speaking to how people, especially those in Christ, should be responding to such fear. This is what he writes. In one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents, He continues, in other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented, and quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. We are all going to die. He then writes, this is the first point to be made. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, Let the bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts. Not huddled together like frightened sheep in thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. A microbe can do that. But they need not dominate our minds well that's what happens so often when a people go through a suffering like this it begins to dominate our minds and it's not that we should be unaware or that we should seek to be foolish in any way but we need to ask the questions as Christians how are we to pull ourselves together Well, in some ways that phrase is very dangerous because it could give the illusion that we have the power actually to do that. We could add to what the Bible says if we're not careful, but talking about a theology that says, pull yourselves up by the bootstraps. This is far more difficult than that. The wages of sin and death are far greater than that. We simply need God's grace and mercy to fix our eyes on the risen Lord So that we can move through this and whatever else may come our ways. Martha and Mary give us the great example. Death has brought its sting. Death, the great enemy, has taken their brother. And they feel it. They feel it deeply. Martha goes at once to Jesus upon hearing that he's near. Mary delays, saying something about their personalities. But they both say the same thing when they see Jesus. Jesus, as we know from the text, purposely waited to come. All for the glory of God. But they don't understand. So both of them, when they see Jesus, one after after the other, say the very same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. With that statement, you see faith. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, they knew that Jesus had the power to heal the sick. They knew that if he had been present, the one that he loved wouldn't have died. They both said so. But in that statement, there's also a sense of confusion. Why did you not come? Live in this side of heaven with the brokenness of the world because of sin that we live in. There are moments when we wonder, why God? Where are you? The beautiful thing about God's word is it gives us the freedom to lament. It gives us the freedom to ask those questions. It gives us the freedom to seek his face and say, how long, O Lord? Martha, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's the only phrase that Mary speaks but Martha continues in the conversation with Jesus Jesus speaks to Martha he says to her that this sickness or this will not end in death because he is going to to raise him up but he didn't deny that he had already died again Lazarus was truly dead So when Martha heard in verse 20 that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. You see the faith that Martha possesses. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Again, Lazarus was dead, not just asleep. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Jesus hears her response. He then moves forward a little further, and there again he sees Mary. And she is in deep grief as those who are with her. Jesus then asks a very direct question. Where is he laid? Where is his body? Jesus moves towards the tomb. Verse 38 tells us that he's deeply moved. He comes to the tomb. Verse 38 says it was a cave and a stone lay against it. And now Jesus says, take away the stone. Now Martha, the one who had this remarkable faith, the faith that said, Lord, if you had been here, my my brother would not have died. Lord, she says, even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now she becomes focused on something else, something practical, just like Martha. And that is the stench, the odor that will exist if the stone is rolled away. So often in moments of grief, in moments of confusion, in moments of fear, Though we say in one way we believe that all things are possible with God, we often get focused on things that aren't near as important. In this moment, Martha, the one who said, I know, even now, whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She's focusing on something small. Right now in your life, in the midst of all that's going on are you fixing your eyes on God? Are you fixing your eyes on the one to whom all things are possible? Are your eyes being distracted things that are much less important? Are you missing the opportunity to trust in a God who is all powerful, all knowing, all present, all wise? whose love is steadfast and his faithfulness too. Jesus doesn't really respond to Martha's concern about the odor. He simply says in verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? If you believed, you would see the glory of God. All that's happened in this account, Jesus' delay Lazarus's true death, the questions from the sisters, from the mourners as well. Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? I don't believe Martha or any present could have imagined what Jesus was going to do. I don't think they could have comprehended that as he soon speaks to Lazarus, this man who is dead is going to be resurrected. He is going to exit the tomb that four days earlier they had put him in. So they took away the stone, verse 41. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he prayed, saying to the father, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me, Jesus The word of God, speaking the word of God, the word is alive. He's saying it in their presence as he prays to the Father that they may believe that he was the one sent. Verse 43, and when he had said these things to the Father, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I wonder what it was like for all of those present. Did it suddenly get quiet? Was there a hush? I'm not sure. But soon the man who had died came out. His hands and his feet bound with linen strips, the grave clothes, and his face wrapped with the cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him, let him go. Lazarus was dead. And now he is alive. He walks out covered in his grave clothes. Jesus, the one who said, Lazarus, come out, now commands that those grave clothes be stripped off of him. We're not told what Martha or Mary or Lazarus says next were simply told that many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Some believed that Jesus had come. That he was the one, and others did not. The purpose of this incredible miracle that happened not long before his own resurrection was for the glory of god for people to see as john the beloved disciple records it that jesus was human he had friends his heart was grieved deeply to the point of him weeping over the death of a friend and the anguish that it caused those he loved It also shows us, though, that Jesus is completely God, 100% human, 100% divine. He does all of this for the Father's glory, that people might come to saving faith in him. Not many days from this time, there's going to be another resurrection. And this time, it's going to be the resurrection of Christ himself. Our Savior Jesus, never sinning, goes to the cross for the sins of his people. All of your sins and all of mine poured out on him. The wrath of the Father covering him, overwhelming him to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus too was covered in grave clothes and placed into the tomb. But then near the end of And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. That's John. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Jesus Christ prophesied about what would happen. And it did. He went to the cross, dying the death that we all deserve to die, but then conquering death by being raised from the dead. Jesus appeared to the disciples, to the women who were present, and they saw that he is alive. This God, man, resurrected, crushing death to death, that all who trust in him will live forever The resurrection of Lazarus, where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He went on to say that whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This doesn't mean that we won't face a physical death. And indeed, that physical death is frightening and the the death of our friends is frightening. But this is the truth. The Lord has done everything necessary that we might truly live after the physical death for all eternity. Indeed, the Lord is leading his children, body and soul, through life and through death into everlasting joy if he is our safest refuge, if he is our supreme treasure, if he is our sovereign Lord and our most trusted counselor. And what that means is that we, his children, rest and receive Jesus alone for salvation. That there is salvation in no other name. That that voice, that alive word, that trusted counsel comes from God himself. And when we rest and receive Jesus alone, what we are saying is, I believe. His question to Martha is his question for us. Do we believe? This morning, as you're watching on this screen, God's Spirit is present in all of his people. If this morning you know in your heart that you belong to Christ... If you're one to say, I have rested and received in Jesus alone, it's because of another resurrection that took place, a spiritual resurrection in your heart. Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God, verse four, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, and this is not of yourself. It is a gift of God not a results of work, so that no man can boast. As I read earlier from Hebrews chapter 4, all of us are going to be before God to give an account for our lives. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. But for all those who are in Christ, who have experienced that that spiritual resurrection already, where their dead heart began to beat for God by the work of the Holy Spirit, and their heart and mind began to see the truth of who he is, and they rested and received in Jesus alone, we have nothing to fear. Because our nakedness, our exposure has been covered by Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, all cover God's people that we are secure in him for all eternity. If this morning as you're watching, you are not sure that that is you, that when asked the question, do you believe? Well, this may be the moment where you're coming before the living God to rest and receive in Jesus alone for your salvation. If you have questions about that, please email me or one of our other pastors. Contact us that we might encourage you, or simply talk to the people that are with you right now or told you about this service. This gift of eternal life, this resting and receiving in Jesus alone is real. It is the reason why Christ came. It is the reason why all who profess Christ celebrate this great day. It's why we lift high the name of Jesus and are confident even in this profound moment we have hope and it's resurrection hope. It is the hope that Jesus Christ is the one leading us through life, and through death, body and soul into everlasting joy. This story is real. This story is alive. This story is worth repeating over and over again. Father in heaven, we thank you for the feeding that you've given us and the perfect name of Jesus. We thank you that you have fixed our eyes upon the cross And we celebrate wherever we are what you have done. In this moment, Lord, if there are those watching who don't know you, would you have mercy and show them grace and woo them to yourself even now that they would rest and receive in you alone for salvation as you are offered in the gospel. And Lord, for those who are confident already in Jesus alone for salvation, Would you press these truths deeper and deeper into our heart so that in these days that we're living that seem so uncertain, we would live with this bold resurrection power and would the brightness of Christ shine so brightly through us that friends, neighbors, family members, co-workers would ask, what is it that's in you? that gives you such courage and confidence in a time like this. We pray in your holy name and all of God's people said, amen.